0: Russia is really key for Europe's gas supply. A lot of that gas is bought on long-term contracts. And even if a country like the UK doesn't have a long-term gas contract with Russia, um, it's still very much affected by the war in Ukraine because European gas markets are extremely interconnected, the prices generally follow each other up, and there's a lot of trade between countries.
1: Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues.
2: Hello and welcome to a special episode of our Energy Unplugged Podcast this week. My name is Hans Koenig. I lead the consulting team in our Berlin office. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Anise Gambold, who leads our research team for commodities and hydrogen. Welcome, Anise. Thank you, Hans. So, Anise and the team have been uh, looking uh, for the past couple of days and weeks uh, into the unfolding uh, uh, crisis in the European gas market, Um, been answering lots of client questions, and also um, been producing a couple of reports, uh, some of which have been released, uh, some of which will be released soon. So um, I'm very grateful that Elise can join me today to summarize the main findings of our research and uh, what we think could be next in the European gas market. So to kick us off, um, Anise, could you tell us What has happened um, in the the European gas market over the past couple of uh, weeks?
0: Yeah, so what's happened over the past few weeks is largely a reaction to what's been happening in the war between Russia and Ukraine. In the last two weeks, Russia has been entering the Ukraine, and that has affected the gas and the energy markets as a whole. And last week, when the Russian war in Ukraine started, uh, governments started to react with sanctions against Russia particularly countries in the EU, the US, UK, and other allies in the West. Um, so sanctions were imposed. One of the key sanctions or one of the key reactions to the to the war has been uh, an agreement between the EU, US, UK, and allies to actually remove certain selected Russian banks from the SWIFT banking system, uh, which means that it will become harder for companies to be paying Russian banks, and in particular for the energy markets, It means that it could be harder to purchase energy from Russia. And this is really important um, because Russia does supply a lot of uh, Europe's coal and gas, for example. On top of that, sanctions have been imposed on some Russian individuals, on some Russian banks and companies, which could also hinder trade in the energy markets. As a reaction to the war, as well as these sanctions, gas prices and energy prices have generally been trending um, upwards. Another thing that's happened in the last two weeks in reaction to the war in Ukraine is that Germany decided to block certification of a pretty key pipeline called Nord Stream 2, which connects Russia and Germany. It is a pipeline that's already been built, but is not yet operational because it's waiting for certification from the German government. And when Germany announced that the the project might be blocked forever or blocked indefinitely, that also saw a reaction in the gas markets.
2: Okay, so um, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for that overview. Uh, So, a combination of both uh, very short term measures uh, uh, the sanctions on banks on SWIFT, uh, which, however, try to get around and uh, circumvent the energy sector where where Europe has a pretty substantial short term reliance. But then, on top of that, um, uh, blocking the certification of Nord Stream 2, which is really also a long-term measure because uh, at least from my perspective, it seems, uh, it seems very unclear how this pipeline is meant to ever go online without a very broad political uh, compromise and uh, detente uh, between, uh, between, between Russia and, uh, and the West. Uh, let's look into a d- double click on the gas markets as it, as, as it were. So how does this uh, affect the gas markets right now and, uh, and potentially going forward?
0: you can see how important Russia is for the gas markets if you're just following the gas prices. So they've increased from about 50 euro per megawatt hour to over 100 euro per megawatt hour. And the reason why we've seen such a strong reaction in the gas markets from this war in Ukraine is because of how much Russia supplies gas to Europe. So in a normal year, Russia supplies 30 to 40% of Europeans' gas supply. Um, They also supply about 50% of Europe's coal. So it's not just gas. Uh, that Europe depends on um, from Russia. So 40% of gas in Europe is just a European average. In some of the countries, uh, the dependency on Russia is over 50%, even up to 90%, particularly in countries in the South of Europe and the Eastern Europe. Russia is really key for Europe's gas supply. A lot of that gas is bought on long-term contracts. And even if a country like the UK doesn't have a long-term gas contract with Russia, Um, it's still very much affected by the war in Ukraine because European gas markets are extremely interconnected. The prices generally follow each other up and there's a lot of trade between the countries. Since the tension started, we saw a huge increase in the gas prices. We also saw um, a huge increase in power prices. There was a small relief last week when the US did say that it would try to avoid imposing sanctions on Russia that would affect the energy markets conscious that any sanctions on the energy markets could affect um, downstream consumers in Europe. In terms of how it's affecting the gas supplies, so far there hasn't been a disruption to flows in Russian gas. Um, they've actually been quite stable, picking up slightly as Russian is under these contracts is slightly more in the money than they were last month. Um, so flows have, from Russia have so far been quite stable.
2: And this is actually one of the things that I found uh, qu- quite surprising. I think it surprised a lot of people who uh, who, who watch who watch Russian cash flows every um, every day. So basically, uh, um, the pricing of um, of a lot of the long term contracts, as I understand it, is based on the previous month's uh, spot trading. And actually, as uh, spot prices skyrocketed over the past couple of days, uh, it, uh, uh, it it suddenly became very attractive to buy this gas that which was which was benchmarked the previous month uh, um, on, the, on the on the January um, gas prices and a lot of the um, a lot of the European traders therefore, Turn towards Gazprom's pipeline supplies. Um, so we had this very perverse situation in the gas market that, uh, uh, just as the conflict was uh, was was really heating up and the invasion was happening, flows actually started increasing, which um, definitely wasn't wasn't what a lot of people were expecting. So could you run us through what might be next or, w- or what could happen going forward?
0: so we've been looking at what could happen going forward both in the very short term horizon um, looking at what could happen in the next six months nine months particularly over next winter period which is when gas demand in europe is is pretty high and we've also been considering what will happen in the next five to ten years so over the next decade um, particularly if there are quite big changes like north stream 2 never comes online um, so we've looked at that in those two perspectives If we just look at the very short term, so the next nine months, um, we were looking at could uh, Europe actually survive without any Russian gas at all? So imagine that the sanctions are very strict. We actually have a complete shutdown in Russian gas supply to Europe, either because of the the result of the sanctions or because there are physical disruptions, um, maintenance issues, for example. And we wanted to answer the question, will Europe be able to attract enough supply from other sources potentially even see its own gas demand dropping. Um, So what we're doing at the moment, and unfortunately we're not done yet, but we'll be done in the next few days, is seeing how much more gas could Europe get, which is not from Russia. So for example, from liquefied natural gas, LNG, um, maybe there's more imports that we can get from the African pipelines into Italy and Spain. Maybe we can turn back Groningen production in the Netherlands. So that is a large gas field in the Netherlands which is due to stop producing next year, but there still is gas on the ground. So under an extreme scenario, maybe the government will consider turning that production back on. So that is on the supply side. We're also exploring what measures could be done on the demand side. So for example, if you have a huge push to insulate homes between now and next winter, how much gas demand could be cut off that way? Some governments, for example, uh, in Germany are talking about Maybe we don't have to have the nuclear closure timeline that that we've announced. Maybe we can delay the nuclear closure to help reduce gas demand in the power sector. So we're going to be exploring that as well. Other countries are thinking about having coal generation instead of gas generation. Of course, that will have an impact on climate targets as well. But that's another possibility in this extreme scenario when we don't have um, Russian gas coming in. So what we're doing um, over the next couple of days is adding up all the numbers, um, working uh, between all of the different teams in Aurora, running our models, and we'll come out with something early next week. So around the 7th of March, we'll have something ready for our listeners and our subscribers to see. And just for our subscribers, we're going to have a webinar on Friday morning, so the 4th of March. So if you are a subscriber, then be sure to, to look out for that. In terms of the long term, uh, so the next five to ten years, we've already published something on our website. So please go on the Aurora website and look on insights. We were looking at a few scenarios. One where pretty straightforward, the Nord Stream two pipeline is delayed by just a couple of years till twenty twenty five, which for now seems like quite an optimistic scenario. We also looked at the scenario where there is no transit through Ukraine. So either because of physical limitations, because of sanctions, because of disagreements. Ukraine is a huge transit route for Russian gas into Europe. And then in the last case, we looked at what would happen long-term for Europe if Nord Stream 2 pipeline ever comes online. So just a shift away from Russian gas. Um, in all of those scenarios, as you might imagine, we just have less Russian gas coming into Europe. And L- Europe is able to attract more LNG in those scenarios. Um, but it does come at a very high price. Europe will need to replace a lot of its Russian gas with usually more expensive LNG, and it has to compete in the global market uh, against markets like Asia for this expensive LNG. And so we're going to see in all of those Russian gas scenarios uh, a strong pickup in European gas prices.
2: Thanks a lot for that overview, Anise. And uh, I mean, just following the German discussion, um, certainly there's now... uh, a strong public support um, uh, and also government support for for building two LNG uh, t- uh, terminals, uh, which should uh, relax the um, the situation from a volume perspective. But of course, they won't be around for another four or five years. Um, and uh, as you say, even if even if the situation is then more relaxed from a volume perspective, we still have a much. Or even stronger coupling um, and uh, stronger reliance on global LNG markets, and we saw last summer and last fall um, what that can lead to. Right, I mean, if you if in the very short term you have strong competition between uh, between Asia and uh, and Europe for LNG cargoes, that can bid up the price uh, very very rapidly in a, in a in a short amount of time. So, uh, taking it back to back to the short term, which I think is uh, is probably uh, the center of most of our listeners' attention right now. What should they pay attention to to monitor the situation and uh, perhaps also find indicators in which of the potential future worlds we're heading?
0: Definitely, there are a few signposts that our listeners should be paying attention to. I mentioned the word sanctions. Um, So far, many of the sanctions have avoided affecting energy companies, Um, but keep in mind that this, this is a really evolving picture. So any sanctions that affect energy can still be really bullish for energy prices. Another thing, of course, to pay attention to, which Hans, you already mentioned, is changes to Russian gas flows. um, Russian gas analysts, energy analysts will be watching every day what is happening to Russian gas flows through the P pipelines into Europe. So pay attention to any big changes, any um, decreases in particular. Uh, Another thing that listeners should look out for is an announcement from the European Union. They're planning to come out with a response on the European Union's energy supply chain plans, um, thinking about where does our energy supply come from? Do we need to change anything about our security of supply um, and how we uh, purchase energy? And lastly, one thing that we've been tracking over the last few years actually, is government's responses to protect consumers and industry from really high energy prices. So last year, and also at the beginning of this year, we saw pretty high gas prices, coal prices, as well as EUETS prices. And those have been affecting consumers as well as industry. And governments since last year have been introducing subsidies and grants and tax exemptions in order to protect consumers. Uh, But now with the energy prices rising even more, pay attention to any more government responses. But of course, these kinds of subsidies do affect um, government budgets, uh, which are already quite constrained.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and what we're also seeing uh, across Europe is um, just a lot of nervousness on the part of policymakers, um, qu- quite understandably. Um, but when things are uncertain and when policymakers are getting nervous, often drastic and uh, not that good decisions are being taken, especially when it comes to uh, things like power market designs or so forth. Certainly, we've seen a couple of proposals that. That I could potentially address the short-term implications, but also do quite a bit of harm uh, in the long run. So that's so, so that's something I think uh, to our <laughs> listeners in the public sector and in government. Uh, that's certainly something to to, to, to be borne in mind. Not just what does it uh, does it help us in the current situation, but uh, also um, how would this how will this be looked at five or ten years uh, down the down the line. Um, Finally, Anis, can you tell us a bit what Aurora is doing and what's to be expected from your team in terms of uh, in terms of research um, outputs, in terms of insight reports over the next couple of days and weeks?
0: Sure. On our main website, we've already published a set of slides, around 30 slides, explaining the long-term scenarios. Um, so the ones that I was mentioning about Nord Stream 2 delay, no gas transit through Ukraine, and a Nord Stream 2 cancellation. On Friday, for subscribers of Aurora products, we will be having a webinar explaining those scenarios, but focusing really on the short term, um, what could happen without Russian gas at all. Uh, as I mentioned, adding up all of the numbers, could we get enough supply from LNG, Africa? Um, could we turn down demand from um, insulation, power sector, etc.? Just adding up the numbers and saying, yes or no, could Europe cope without Russian gas this winter? Um, We're also going to be publishing press release to explain the main takeaways that will be publicly available uh, and probably available either this Friday, the 4th or Monday, the 7th. Um, Also for our subscribers, we are updating our central scenario. Every year we publish our long-term outlook for the energy markets till twenty seventy, and we're going to be updating all of our assumptions, saying what the price impact is uh, on the different gas markets and the different energy markets, and we'll be publishing that in April.
2: Super, thank you very much, Anise. And for, for our listeners who haven't seen our, our report on the cancellation of Nord Stream 2 yet, uh, we'll actually put this into the show notes of the podcast you can, so you can download it uh, right on your devices. Otherwise, of course, you'll also find it uh, on our website. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule right now, Anise. And if our listeners, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to drop us a note. The situation will certainly remain uh, very tense um, in the energy markets, but also more broadly over the next couple of weeks.
1: That was Hans Koenig, Head of Commissioned Projects in Central Europe at Aurora, talking to Anis Gambold, Research Lead, Commodities and Hydrogen at Aurora. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use.